ladies and gentlemen, the time for a surf, we could be out by that'd be excellent. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Jackman Radio. I'm your host, Mike Jackman, and I am very excited today to be joined by 2024 presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. How you doing today, Vivek? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, sir. And just getting right into it, man. I got to say, the last couple of debates, you blew the roof off the joint. Uh, what? what There's a little lag. Just seems a little going in and out. Uh, Brandon, can you come in? Yeah, the signal's going in and out. Why do you just stay here till it? Yeah, sorry, folks. We're having some. We might be having some connectivity issues, but we'll get that ironed out. This is side? what happens. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, there seems to be a little bit of a, a delay and a little bit of audio uh, breakout, but that's okay. It's Here, I think I can hear. It just sounds like your your Wi-Fi might be going in and out. Um, yeah, I mean everything looks it sounds okay. Like, a, like the um. Okay, it's it's good now. It just started to sound like that garbled Wi-Fi Zoom sound again. Okay, how about now? Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Yeah, is this live or is okay. this pre-taped? Yeah, no, this this is live streaming. Yeah, on YouTube. Okay, got yeah. it. Cool. And right. That's okay. Hey, these these things happen. These things happen. No that's problem. Right. I can hear you right now. I can hear you right okay. now. Now, actually, for some reason, it got garbled. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, hey. Okay. Thanks for your patience. So uh, yes. Yeah, so going back into it, uh, your performance at the last debate, and really all the debates. I mean, you really you 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 know you blow you blew the roof off the joint, um, and that's that's really been in the news. So. Going into that, did you just kind of feel like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna confront these neocons, you know, with the truth, or what? What's kind of the overall strategy? I mean, the overall strategy is just be unconstrained in speaking the truth. I mean, too many politicians have been groomed by their political consultants to say whatever poll-tested slogans they're supposed to use as empty vessels on television, and I think that's what's broken in our politics. We don't have open conversations anymore, right? There's a gap between what people are willing to say in public and what they're willing to say in private. And so my view is we have to close that gap, start speaking the truth again, speak the truth with a spine, with conviction, not just when it's easy, but when it's hard. And I do think that I'm at my best when I'm not scripted, when I'm not overly pre-prepared. That's what I've been doing on that debate stage, and it's what we're going to be doing for the rest of this campaign. My sense is people are hungry for it. There's a lot of corruption in politics. The neocon establishment really pervades both parties. It controls both the Democrats and the Republicans today. That's why many of the worst decisions we're making, marching our way into World War III, are bipartisan ones. And so it's going to take somebody coming from outside that system to break it. And that's what I'm going to be doing. And I will be unsparing at every step of the way in calling out the Democratic establishment, calling out the media establishment, and calling out the Republican establishment, each of which I think have created a lot of problems in this country that it's going to take an outsider to fix. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, your, the confrontations with, uh, you know, Governor Haley and Governor DeSantis kind of reminded me, it was reminiscent of when uh, President Trump in 2016 was going up against Jeb, kind of that old school uh, Republican, you know, uh, philosophy. It seems to be a lot of the voters are responding to your campaign, um, as well as, you know, the campaign of RFK Jr., who's running as an independent, um, because you guys are willing to, you know, tell those truths and, and talk about our foreign policy uh, from a different perspective. Do you feel like even within the Republican establishment, um, like in the voters and the upcoming primary that we're going to see, like here in New Hampshire, 
they want to move away from you know preemptive war and 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 having you know the empire all over the world. Absolutely. I mean, this is an outdated relic of a worldview that should be relegated to the dustbins of history. I think that my sole moral obligation as the next president, I have one moral obligation. It's to the citizens of this country, not another one, but of the United States of America. That's what George Washington would have said 250 years ago. So I think that we should do what would make our founders proud. And, and I think that they would be appalled if they see what they do today. The good news is most voters and most citizens, certainly in our movement across this country and in the state of New Hampshire, are on this side. It's very difficult for a guy like me to be able to compete with the super PACs that are putting up gobs of, of establishment-funded money to prop up the other candidates, but I'm trusting the people of New Hampshire. I mean, this is a state that goes first for a reason. I'm a first-in-the-nation primary evangelist. We're going to need people who are not just traditional Republicans, but America First conservatives, libertarians, independent-minded patriots to come out in that third week of January for that New Hampshire primary. And I think that if I win New Hampshire, I'll be the next president. So for me, this is not just an academic exercise to try to move the conversation. You know, I think a lot of people who have run over the years, and I give RFK a lot of credit too, move the conversation as a third party candidate. But if you want to win, you got to do it through one of the two major parties. It's just the way ballot access and everything else works. I think we're going to have a chance to do that, and we'll be definitively able to do it if I win New Hampshire. And so we're laser focused on that grassroots uprising. Yeah, and you were just here over the weekend, uh, we were saying before you went on, uh, how did those events go? Great. I mean, with the kinds of people we're drawing are people that are not the traditional voter base that's polled. And I think that's good because it puts us in a position to surprise and deliver a big surprise result, frankly, in Iowa and in New Hampshire. One of the events we had on, on it was in Merrimack at night. It was, it was awesome. I mean, we, uh, it felt, I think the people who left, one of the articles in the New Hampshire Journal described it more like a rock concert than a standard political event, just because people are pumped up about our country. If we're able to talk about our actual shared national values, <coughs> free speech, meritocracy, the pursuit of excellence, the rule of law, Absolutely. That's the United States of America. That's what unites us. And we have forgotten our shared values in the face of this toxic identity politics foisted onto us by the left and this toxic pro-war ideology that wants to send our sons and daughters to go die so somebody here can buy a bigger house. That's corrupt, whether the Democrats do it or the Republicans do it. And I think speaking that truth leaves a lot of people pretty pumped up. And we even popped into some diners along the way. We had some stops that we made that weren't scheduled, but pop into a restaurant, say hello nice. to a few folks along the way. And I'm sensing enthusiasm, and I think that we're going to translate that into success. That's definitely how we do it here in New Hampshire. And, and we like to see people who are running, uh, you know, several times in person, meet them if we can, have a conversation like we're doing now. So that's great. And one of your more recent media appearances uh, talking about foreign policy and foreign aid, I think it was a real standout moment when you said that you support uh, no longer sending any aid to any countries and specifically Israel, is that is that your stance? I just think we should not be in the business of giving aid to countries whose national debt per capita is less than ours. I mean, most people who are watching this may not know, you have $100,000 of debt on you that you didn't know you had. Mm -hmm. It's a $33 trillion national debt that we have at the level of the US government, and it's growing. And so think about now, against that backdrop, we're 33 trillion in the hole. We're using your money, our money, to give that aid to countries that literally have a smaller national debt per person than ours. So I'm always a fan of keeping prior commitments. So I've said that prior commitments we've made, we made a commitment in the past 
the 3 to $3.8 billion per year in aid to Israel. I will never rescind prior commitments. I will stand by those. But the new commitments, no, we're not making those new commitments. And I think that's better for the U.S. And it's better for countries like Israel because it muddies the waters otherwise where we have to then micromanage and take responsibility for it. We should not be involved in managing the affairs of the Middle East. Stand diplomatically for our ally? Absolutely. But in terms of whether it's Ukraine or other parts of Central America, South America, we should not begin the business of giving elective new foreign aid. And I'm not going to you know, opt into these new commitments that they're now talking about in Congress. I don't think that's in our interest, and I don't think it's in the interest of our allies. With over $30 trillion in debt, I, I agree. I mean, it's crazy. It's, we're sending all this money overseas, and we have problems, you know, here in this country. We just had Veterans Day. We have, you know, over 30 veterans committing suicide every day, drug addiction, homelessness. What would your plan be as president to combat that issue? My moral obligation is to the citizens here at home. So we've got a mental health epidemic in this country. Let's address that. Let's talk about violent crime. It's gone up over the same period that we have seen psychiatric illness go up in this country as well. Get to that root cause rather than the virtue signaling of trying to take away guns from law-abiding citizens. That's the kind of thing you see in the modern era is some symptomatic virtue signaling therapy instead of actually getting to the root cause. But, but I was in New Hampshire over Veterans Day, and I think this is an issue that we have to treat seriously with action. This is a country that no longer stands for those who have served. You think about the number of veterans who are committing suicide daily. Used to be upwards of 20, now it's upwards of 40 per day. That's wrong. Now, young people aren't stupid in this country. The reason we have a 25% recruitment deficit in the U.S. military is partly because they say, if this is how you're treating veterans on the back end, then no, I'm not gonna risk my life on the front end. So I think that there's some simple things we can do. We rolled out some comprehensive policies over the weekend. Thinking about PTSD in veterans, we should have decompression periods. Even if there are a few weeks between people in combat roles versus coming back to civilian life, there should be those decompression buffers. There's privacy regulations. We need more privacy regulations where many veterans don't report their PTSD because of fear of being then subject to a red flag on red flag laws or otherwise. Well, I think we need greater privacy restrictions for veterans to be able to feel free to report their PTSD. I think that it's ridiculous that we have Schedule One drugs, ayahuasca, ketamine, or otherwise, that veterans with PTSD can't access, but they're turning them to fentanyl or suicide instead. For veterans for PTSD, we need to open that up. So these are basic steps we can take workforce training to return back to the workforce. Community care, if you, if you live close to a VA center, that's great, but many people are 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 miles away. You shouldn't have to drive that distance if you're able and would like to instead get it through community-based medical care that can be covered by the VA as well. These aren't black ideas or white ideas. These aren't, at least they shouldn't be, Democrat ideas or Republican ideas. We should be a country that stand for those who have served this country. And I think that's part of what it's gonna take to revive national pride. And the ultimate way we serve our veterans and honor those who serve this country is to make sure we're no longer sending them to fight pointless wars that don't advance the American interest. Seven trillion dollars we spent in Iraq and Afghanistan. Thousands upon thousands of America's sons and daughters, people my age, went to die in those wars for literally no purpose. The Taliban's still in charge in Afghanistan 20 years later. Mm -hmm. Iraq is still a disastrous mess. And yet here we now have an establishment in both parties that's leading us to make those same mistakes again. Dick Cheney 2.0 trying to reclaim the Republican Party. I say <laughs> hell no to that vision. We stand for putting the citizens of this country first, 
War is never a preference, only a necessity. Staying out of World War III is a vital national interest. I'm the only candidate saying it. And I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna lead accordingly. And I do think it's gonna take a leader from the next generation with fresh legs to reach the new generation and stand for those principles. And yes, that's how we honor our veterans, but it's how we, ident how we honor George Washington and the principles this country was founded on. So we're about a year apart in age. I was born in 86. I'm pretty sure you were born in 85. So we yeah. kind of came up, we're millennials, we're elder millennials. We kind of came up uh, around the same time. And, uh, you know, part of the legacy of the Iraq war and the war on terror is of course 9-11. And it was refreshing to me uh, to see you publicly in the last several months kind of questioning the official story. Uh, what, what areas of 9-11? Oh, absolutely, yeah, you yeah. were talking about the hijackers and their connections to Saudi intelligence. Yeah. Um, you know, we know the attacks were also partially funded by uh, the ISI, which is Pakistani intelligence. And I don't know if you were familiar or aware of this, but the head of Pakistani intelligence at the time of 9-11, a man named Mahmoud Ahmed, was actually meeting with President Biden um, <clears throat> the week of the attacks. And this is a guy who ordered a wire transfer of $100,000 to the lead hijacker, Mohammed Atta. So, you know, these are, I think these are still pertinent issues and it's, it's great it's to see they, you. I mean, I believe in facts. I believe in truth. The, the, you got to speak the truth, not just when it's easy, but when it's hard. The fact of the matter is the FBI and the 9-11 Commission said after 9-11, shortly after 2001, in the, in the couple of years that followed, that there was no tie between the Saudi government and the hijackers. And that there was some questions about this guy, Al-Bayoumi, I think his name was Muhammad Al-Bayoumi in LA, who was a 42-year-old graduate student that just happened to meet the two hijackers in LAX airport and became such good friends with them that he took them home and was, you know, as a graduate student, these two guys he met at the airport. Sounded kind of ridiculous, this 42-year-old graduate student, but hey, they said, nope, he had nothing to do with it. Not, just, just, a, just a graduate student and nothing to do with the Saudi government. What do we learn in the declassified documents that came out two years ago, 20 years later. The guy was a Saudi intelligence operative. Unbelievable. So yeah. the government has systematically lied to the people, not just about that, but about the basis for the war in Iraq, the basis for the bailouts in 2008, the Hunter Biden laptop story, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, how many federal agents were in the field on January 6th, the Nashville transgender shooter manifesto that they didn't release before it was leaked, the origin of COVID-19. We require a government that tells the truth to the people again. And you know what, it's, it's, it's the basic idea that we can handle the truth. The reason people don't trust the government is partly that the government doesn't trust the people. That changes on my watch. And I think it's not gonna come from some existing politician doing this. It's gonna take a leader from the outside that can't be captured by the special interests. The donor class doesn't capture me, I'm not their circus monkey. Every politician dances to the tune of their biggest donor. That's a rule, but in my case, that biggest donor is me. And it's gonna take a leader from the next generation. I truly believe that to lead this country forward. And that's why I'm in this race and I think we're gonna be successful. If elected, would you push to release all the files pertaining to the Kennedy assassination from coming up on almost 60 years? Yes. Simple awesome. answer to that question. Yes, Epstein client list, yes. Tell the people the truth. Hard the truth, the understand it. They want to hear the truth. And I thought it was great that you had Alex Jones on your podcast. You guys had a great discussion and it looked like it was maybe the first time you ever met. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, to, to you know, foreign policy and 9-11 and, and research. If you, if you want to have someone else on who's really good, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but the geopolitical expert Ryan Dawson uh, made no. that film I had up there 
uh, War by Deception and Decade of Deception. And he's done 20 years. What's his name? I'm going to write it down right now. Ryan Dawson. Ryan Dawson, yeah, from ancreport.com. And I thought of that because of you, you talking about you're going to put on your website uh, no neocons or you have some kind of yes, anti-neocon. In fact, yeah, I I'd love for people watching this to go there right now. No2neocons.com. No2neocons.com. Not asking for money or anything else. Just sign the pledge. The basic commitment is avoiding World War III as a national priority. Number two is war is never a preference, only a necessity. And number three is the sole obligation of U.S. policymakers is to U.S. citizens, period. If you agree with those things, send a message. That's what this is about. So you won't be bringing in any kind of Nikki Haley's or Elliot Abrams or Mike nope. or John Bolton's or, you nope. know, and, and you'll, you'll get, you know, because Trump didn't get the files out. And he We're hired, done he, he hired a bunch of neocons and he, he, he is a lot of it was very disappointing to a lot of voters. So personnel is policy. And so it's one thing. It's great to have a president who has the right ideas, but you got to have the right people to implement it, too. So no, forget, forget the Lindsey Graham, John Bolton, Carl Rove, Dick Cheney, Nikki Haley. Just cool. Wing of the GOP. Chris Christie. We're done with that. We're done. with Yeah. That. Absolutely, yeah. Cheney and heels. That's Cheney, right. Cheney and meatball and heels, Vivek. That's what we can we call him. Little meatball. We call her bird brain. Yeah, what, well, do you, what do you what do you think about his nicknames that he has for the other candidates? I mean, I think a lot of times they're tracking. I mean, they're, they're, they're the reason they're funny and they're good is they're tracking the truth. I mean, what, he's what the is the king of Nikki Haley. She pretends to be she pretends to be some intellect. Little she's bird a, brain. I mean, it's intellectual fraud. I mean, the, I don't think she knows the first thing about the foreign policy she's spouting off about. The real foreign policy experience she had wasn't her cup of coffee stint at the UN. It was the millions she made cashing in on it afterwards. She claims to be an accountant. She was bankrupt when she left the UN. But just like Biden, cashes in on the government connections, <clears throat> becomes a multimillionaire by becoming a military contractor and joining the board of Boeing. It's sad. It's pathetic. She's collecting stock options while running for president. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. is unprecedented. In Biden, bragged about voting, uh, Biden bragged about voting, uh, writing, essentially writing the Patriot Act as well. And not only that, he had a very powerful senatorial position um, during the vote for the Iraq war, and he was a huge cheerleader for it. And so. it's interesting you bring up the Patriot Act, right? Because now you got people in the Republican Party, you know, and I can respectfully disagree with Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley that now want to use government censorship of views they disagree with. Mm -hmm. Well, if conservatives are, are censoring those views, mark my words. If you question a vaccine side effect, you're going to be a bioterrorist tomorrow. If you question uh, whether a J6 peaceful protester should be in prison, you'll be an insurrectionist terrorist. If you question the curriculum at your school board meeting, you'll be labeled a domestic terrorist. These things are already happening. And so Dick Cheney and George Bush opened the door to that in the post 9-11 security state that they created that has wrecked this country and our civil liberties. But now Dick Cheney 2.0, the likes of Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are trying to do the same thing. And it's wrong when the left does it, I've called it out, but we need to make sure that the neocons don't ruin our country from within the Republican party as well. And I think it's gonna take someone like me to make sure we don't. All right, I got a couple more minutes here with you. I appreciate yeah. your time. I want the changing gears. I wanted to ask you what your thoughts are on uh, nuclear energy, nuclear power. Radically pro-nuclear power. And the answer is, it's the greatest form of energy production known to man. But the U.S. administrative state, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, another one of those three-letter agencies, the NRC, is fundamentally hostile to nuclear energy. That ends on my watch. I've said we would shut down the NRC, liberate what I think is going to be a great source of power production in the United States. 
Awesome. The so only guys, country with a Gen 4 nuclear reactor right now is China. Think about that. And France, France has got a, France has actually got a pretty significant. France, yeah, I Japan, mean, I, a bunch of other countries are well ahead of where we are. That changes on my watch. And I'm I think, very I, attuned and educated on this issue. I, yeah, I think over the, you know, because I'll be honest, growing up, I was, I considered myself probably anti-nuclear. And I, I always saw the stuff about plants and, and, and they really hyped the um, meltdowns and when something happened. But it, yeah. it was comparatively rare. Uh, compared to like an oil spill or something like that happening. And actually, Oliver Stone's got a great new documentary about nuclear energy. I don't know if you've had a chance to check that out. No, I have not checked that, that one out. But that's definitely definitely worth watching. But uh, uh, last question, we have any 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 Devec performances coming up? <laughs> a, a, any 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 kind of... Uh, Stay you know, tuned. You know, maybe, we, we'll, maybe we'll whip it out in New Hampshire, right? I think uh, I said people who attended that last event we did in New Hampshire the other night said... At the end, they were. I'm glad they said it felt like a rock concert. It kind of did. So we'll uh, we'll see if we can't. You know what my commitment will be? Every one of our nighttime events or evening events that we do, we will we will have fun by the end of it, and and really be unrestrained. And it won't just be the nighttime events. We'll do it for the daytime events too. Yeah, you got. You got it's important to have fun, and and yeah. uh, I, I do some beatboxing too. So if you do an event here in Peterborough, maybe we oh, can. I like that. I could, like I could, that. I could show you some of the beatboxing that we do, and I'm uh, looking my, forward to it. My favorite rap song, Still Tipping by Mike Jones. Oh, you, nice. That was a good one. But hey, good. Yeah, classic, Vivek, man. I really appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, we, I've seen your bus going through New Hampshire. And uh, we'll have to see you sometime up here soon for an event. And uh, good luck to you. Yeah, and I'll ask just people to lift up the movement. The no to neocons is the key. No to neocons.com. And that's what I'm going to represent in not only the Republican Party, but for the country. Sign up. And if I win New Hampshire, I'm your next president. So everybody here, you know 20 people. You know, even if you're not social, you know, 20 people. Tell them about this movement. Tell them about what the New Hampshire primary's importance is. Every person's voice who shows up there, it's like the impact of a million people. If I win New Hampshire, I'm your next president. So you guys do your part. I'm going to do mine, and I'm counting on you. All right. There's the case from Mr. Vivek Ramaswamy. Thank you, everybody, for watching, and we'll see you next time.